namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa aparuta de sangamatasa tawara Yes, but it it will do. We've tried to find all other kinds of other words. Unsatisfactoriness is is another one. The sense of something, you know, very nature of conditions is that their nature is basically unsatisfying. And that's that's a good reflection also. But anyway, the the Pali word dukkha, I think, is being adopted in the English language, like Buddha and Dhamma and Sangha. And English is a language that uh, takes any other all the other languages into it. So it's it's quite a malleable, flexible language. It's, uh, in terms of it, you know, really, it's a conglomeration, isn't it, of all different languages of, of kind of Anglo-Saxon, German, French, Latin, and, and Malay, Hindi, and all other kinds of words added into it. It's easily, uh, it's, you know, if you look at the, it's used in different parts of the world in here in the United States or in the UK or India and that is a, a language that lends itself to, to almost every possibility but in one one of the valuable things of having a kind of uh, classical language like Pali or Sanskrit is that they're, they're not uh, changeable languages. They're what they call dead languages. So they, they kind of, uh, they remain static. And, and that way they're good for reference. Where English can, the words and, and, uh, can change according from one generation to the next. Can, the interpretations or the meanings can vary and change. But in Pali, of course, it, um, they don't. So we use uh, we learning Pali and using that as a as a kind of helpful tool. You know, I feel that, that it is very very useful because it is is no longer a spoken language. But this translation, uh, say, of dukkha as that which can't be born or which, which we can't bear or endure. And so this is, this reflecting on this because contemplating the world, the sensory world that we live in, uh, this, this realm of consciousness and Vedana and feeling where we we live a lifetime within the uh, restrictions and limits of a physical body uh, where we have to 
deal with with this incarceration and this incarnation in in this form here for a lifetime, which is a sensitive form. You know, it's it's living within something that that is continually uh, being impinged upon in some way or another, you know, with the temperature of the room, whether it's too hot or too cold, the the wind, the rain, um, the dryness, the dampness, or just on the level of of weather, temperature, but in terms of sight or smell, taste, touch, and and also the fact that so much of our suffering is created through the mind, isn't it? The the fear, the desire, the greed, hatred, and delusion that we can create into consciousness. Uh, the fact that we can remember uh, the past and that we can hold on to painful memories going way back into early childhood. You find as you get older, you know, at my age, you can remember so many of the things, the, the extreme experiences going back into early childhood, the pleasure the happiness or the painful one. So when we remember something painful, we feel that way. If we grasp this in, out of ignorance and not understanding it in terms of Dhamma, then, then we find uh, that we, we suffer, still suffer over something that happened 60 years ago. The, the, the painful experiences in adolescence or so forth, the the broken hearts, the lost loves, the unrequited love experiences, the the unfairness of a society, the fact that that uh, uh, we get blamed for things we haven't done, or we're not appreciated, understood very well by others, and on and on like this, we can easily hold on to these memories uh, until we die. So you meet uh, you meet elderly people. You go to an old people's home. You see, I remember in England going to one where this old woman uh, sitting there in the lounge, TV lounge, and the only word she could ever say is shit. <laughs> I imagine this is going with the, the last thought before she dies. Rather frightening, isn't it? Yeah. Or another one would say, you're not going to get my money. (laughs) 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 A pathetic thing to see an old person, isn't it, with just this obsession and this thought that, that tends to obsess the consciousness. Or we can use our minds to remember the happy times, the golden days, uh, the successes, and then we, then we feel happy. It makes us feel happy. Or we might even get feel somehow unhappy because we re- refer to happiness as something of the past, and maybe the present isn't isn't particularly golden for us. So 
so this, just by this ignorance, this abhicca, not understanding things as they really are, then uh, even with the most uh, cultivated tastes and refine uh, a bit re- and refining our conscious experience, uh, it's still, if we have no understanding or insight into Dhamma, then uh, this tends to uh, be a source of, of suffering or of dukkha. In other words, we can't, we, we feel that we can't bear it. It's too much to bear. I can't take any more of this. These kind of thoughts. I've had enough. I can't stand this anymore. Uh, this is unbearable. Uh, and then this is, this, this thought can determine uh, the amount of suffering that we create in the present. And I remember in, in, uh, when I first went to stay with Ajahn Chah in Thailand, I had a lot of these thoughts because in a situation where the food was, was pretty awful actually and, and the, the, uh, just the, the sense of feeling I couldn't stand it anymore. I can't take any more of this. And then I realized that I could. <laughs> It actually could take a lot more of it. <laughs> well, that was quite quite an insight to see that that how this voice, inner voice, that says, "I've had enough. I can't take any more of this," is is uh, something that I'm creating. You know, and if I believe it, then I tend to stop there and and uh, perpetuate that whole that that limitation. But just reflecting the fact that I can take that that even though the that inner voice is saying I've had enough I can't take any more then the realization but I can I'm just you know it says I can't take any more and I'm taking more <laughs> and there it is and so then it, you feel uh, you know you you don't trust that the kind of dukkha that one creates out of ignorance you begin to see through it now the there's a natural dukkha of being born in, in, in a human body. In fact, that it is a painful, generally quite painful, um, experience from birth to death. In most births are quite, quite, uh, traumatic. I mean, it's being born and the, uh, and being forced out of the womb and so forth. So it is, you know, uh, in itself quite a, quite a, an experience of pain and and being thrown out or forced out of maybe a very comfortable environment the womb <laughs> into the cold cruel world into maybe a into a surgery with people all in green masks and <laughs> thinking you know pulling you out this way and that and white tiles and sterile everything sterile and maybe the mother your mother unconscious you know maybe she couldn't couldn't take any more <laughs> <laughs> and then growing up isn't it and then aging old age sickness death and so the Buddha emphasized the, this the the suffering of the natural suffering that we all share in the fact of birth, the aging process, sickness, disease, and death. These are 
normal kind of ex- these are this is this is the way it is in terms of this world we're born birth implies death isn't it all that is born will die and and then if one's life lasts for very long then the aging process and then the sickness disease is just a natural experience that all human beings can recognize as a part of this this realm being sensitive also and what we see isn't it we we have to see not only the the beautiful but the ugly the repulsive uh, so that which contacts which comes into our field of vision isn't we don't have that much control over I only want to look at only I, I command that the universe present me only with beautiful objects to look at is impossible isn't it it's not the way it is so the the uh, sight is like this you feel when you see something beautiful pleasurable and so forth and you feel you know it, it has a that kind of feeling when it's when it's ugly and repulsive then you feel that way so this is just the way things are we we're affected by the senses uh, and the the contact that we have the impingement that the sense objects have on these forms this body and these senses so we're recognizing the way it is the five khandhas the six ayatanas the four elements the earth fire water and air element consciousness itself the the world that we live in and the the planet that we that we're experiencing is is both beautiful and ugly pleasurable and painful so when we when we talk about suffering and freedom from suffering it doesn't mean that we we become insensitive now some people think that that enlightenment must be something that makes you totally and completely insensitive you know it's like being kind of a suit of armor uh so when you see something uh pathetic or sad or nasty or ugly you don't feel anything at all completely we say equanimity total indifference <laughs> or is that is that what we mean by equanimity <laughs> or it, it does enlightenment allow you to be sensitive without being frightened of it or being deluded by sensitivity so i remember uh, in my first attempts at meditation was really wanting to get into states where i would not be sensitive anymore trying to get me- levels of concentration which were refined where i could refine conscious experience and completely shut out the coarseness the nastiness the chaos the the irritations of the sense world that that i would ordinarily experience if i wasn't in this this trance or this 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 level of concentration so at first this was this was a very attractive uh, desire to to get to this level of concentration where i could completely shut out all that was painful and irritating and unpleasant from my consciousness or they the desire to be a hermit 
to get away from the irritations, frustrations, fears, anxieties, and worries that that community life or society would bring me. If I go live alone, often it's ideal of this kind of Zen monk living in the mountains, listening to the sound of the water falling and writing haiku poems <laughs> and, and not having to, to live with, with a lot of irritating other monks. <laughs> the, I don't mean as an ever. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, in, in some ways I can see motivated what propelled me into monastic life was was a desire to get out of this sensitive state because I couldn't bear it. It was too much to bear. Uh, and so the uh, the movement toward the cave or the the hermit the the little cootie in the forest or the the sense of being alone uh, in which the the problems that come up in in relationships and and in community family life for society would no longer present themselves and to develop states of samadhi in which I could live in a more refined consciousness and even the coarseness of the forests and the uh, conditions around me could be kind of pushed aside for uh, uh, hopefully, you know, you get into states that could last long periods of time. Your yogis could go for a week in the, in the kind of totally a kind of uh, trance-like state where they didn't feel anything. And I thought, that would be quite nice. <laughs> a week at a time. Or you can talking to people who've been been into drugs and so forth, the addictive drugs, where you can, you know, take something or inject something in, in into your body, and and you go into you you lose the anxiety or the self consciousness or the that that thing that irritating nastiness. I can't take any more. I've had enough. This is more than I can bear. Goes away, and you for a while you can sustain a sense of well-being and, and pleasure. So, one can understand why people are attracted to drugs, alcohol, or addictive substances where you can get some measure of, of uh, feeling of well-being or, or losing that, that sense of self-consciousness. You know, the, the sense of yourself as a personality I found there's something I couldn't bear. What do people think of me? You know, they say, whenever you're with people, you, what do they think? Uh, did I say something wrong? Uh, do people like me? Or the fear of being rejected or criticized or put down or judged in some way? Uh, and of course, you find yourself doing this towards others, you know. You, as much as you fear it from others, you, you fear is generated from your own critical mind, which sees, which dwells on uh, what you don't like and what you don't want, what you don't agree with. So this self, the sakya ditti, this sense of oneself as a personality, is is more than one can bear. At least this was my experience. 
my personality was more than I could stand. <laughs> so this, this is the suffering that when we talk about the first noble truth. Now that we, we are beginning to recognize is, is created out of ignorance. Sensitivity is the way it is. The, the, sen- the body is like this. Consciousness is like this. The, uh, what, the sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, uh, retentive memory, language, and, and all these uh, thinking, logic and reason, or emotional uh, habits, or whatever, uh, we're looking at them now in terms of Dhamma, rather than in terms of self. So that's why uh, emphasizing this sense of refuge, where the paradigm is one of Buddha knowing the truth or the Dhamma, knowing the, the, the laws of nature or the truth of the way it is. A state of pure intelligence. Like the Buddha, you can see, is, is, is pure wisdom, pure intelligence. It's not personal. It's not male or female or Indian or European or anything like that. It's it's uh, when we talk about Buddha, we're we're transcending these these kind of perceptions of uh, that we create in in our cultural conditioning into this uh, a natural state of pure intelligence. Where if we don't if we don't uh, recognize this potential that we all have, then everything is interpreted as me, this person experiencing life which I can't which much of it I can't bear I can't endure it's too much for me so I don't see it in terms of Dhamma I see everything as a kind of threat you know I see see life and the, the sensory impingement or the possibilities of aggression and attack and, and humiliation and rejection as this potential of destroying me or or making me miserable and unhappy on a personal level. So then then life is experienced through fear and desire. So we, we desire to have you know, to to be in control and to have make sure that every you know, I'm okay, you know. I've got everything covered. The door's locked, the windows are locked, uh burglar alarm is on, uh the the uh Rottweiler is, uh, yeah, I didn't feed it today, so if anybody, uh, I've got the telephone in case, call the police if necessary, and uh, email and faxes, <laughs> and, and internet and so forth, all there to, to make sure, you know, kind of protect me in some way. Well, we can live, like fear is a kind of, uh, kind of, instinctual emotional state isn't it it's very much an, uh, uh, on the uh, you know basic fear is is very animal you notice wild animals in the, is the you know in, in uh, Amrabati there, there are a lot of squirrels I used to watch them in the jump, when they jump out of the trees and they're on the ground they're really very frightened you know you can just sense this fear of being in a very unsafe place, they're quite, they feel quite confident when they're up in the tree. 
they kind of chase each other and do all kinds of fantastic feats up in the tree. But when they, but when they're on the ground, you know, they sense, you know, a cat, a dog, danger, threatened. So, because squirrels know that there's no moral agreement with cats or dogs, is there? There's no, nothing about Bana di Bata in terms of the animal kingdom. So it's survival of the fittest, you know, how, how clever you are. The intelligence of the wild animal is, is the intelligence of survival. You know, how to survive and, and get through life without being killed or eaten by another animal. But the human realm is, we share that kind of fear with the animal realm. So we, we don't, you know, it's not that, I mean, we can certainly understand it, can't we? We can certainly understand the fear of being killed or, or, uh, abused or attacked from outside. That's certainly a possibility for all of us. But, uh, in terms of, say, we, we can, like on this retreat, we, the precept Banadibata, is an agreement not to intentionally uh, violate each other in any way to to uh, harm harm or kill any 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 of us here or even taking it to a more refined level of respect for life in general so these uh, turkey vultures and that the, you might want to kill them sometimes but you don't <laughs> uh, or uh, say if ants invade your room, isn't it? That's that's a good one when you're in Thailand. You, you, these termite migrations. And when, several times I've gone back to my little hut in the jungle, and and it's been completely taken over by termites. It's interesting to watch the state of mind. <laughs> you, kind of, you feel, you know, they've they've taken over my hut, and they're going to eat the whole thing. <laughs> I lived in a bamboo hut with a grass roof. I thought, and I, you know, I thought termites, they eat everything. So I thought by morning the whole thing would be pulp. But actually, they were on a migration. They were just passing through, and my cootie happened to be in the path. And they, just, they just moved through it. And, uh, and by dawn, they were all gone. But the mental state was wanting to, to kill them. If I could get some kind of spray and just, you know, get them out because this sense of being invaded by alien creatures taking over my space and, and the, the, uh, the emotion of wanting to, to get rid of them as quickly and expediently as possible. I can't bear it in the sense of, I can't stand this. These termites in my cootie. But I could stand it. <laughs> but the feeling, the emotion was, I can't stand this. So just noting that, like the when one of the epithets of the Buddha is the, the loka vidu, or knower of the world. So what I'm doing now is trying to point out the world is like this. You know, just trying to get. To, to encourage you to contemplate, you know, what being a human being is on the, on planet Earth at this time. It's like this, you know, whether you, you, you know, it's, it's what you idealize or how you think it should be is not the point. It's not trying to, 
to uh, criticize awareness, but just notice that, that being conscious, being sensitive is like this. That we're going, we can only sit for so long and we feel uh, restless or feel pain or we uh, have to go to the toilet or we have to, we get hungry or thirsty or we get too hot or too cold or we get irritated by if there's noise or or somebody slams the door or whatever, there's also this impingement on us that that is just the way the world is, and and so we begin to to contemplate the nature of the world that we're living in, what it is to have a human body. That it does get old. We have to endure pain and sickness, disease, and then it's death, which none of us have experienced yet. You know, it's a, that's in the future. For us, death is what we will experience. So that, that every human being will, ex, you know, has those who have died have already experienced, those who haven't will experience death. So this is, the, the Buddha was pointing to the way it is. And so we see this in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of ideals. Like when I was saying as a child, thinking God should have shouldn't have created pain, and uh, He should have created everything more fairly, so that there wouldn't be, you know, people born deformed and and people, you know, all kinds of uh, problems and difficulties, mentally uh, unstable or or deficient or are the legs missing or blind or whatever they shouldn't be like that the ideal is the ideal God would not create uh, anything that that was less than ideal but that's that's the what we can create with our minds ideals about how things should be and and if life doesn't live up to this ideal then we feel I can't take this this is this is more than I can stand. I can't bear this unfairness. The fact that everything is not perfect is, I can't take it. It's too much. It shouldn't be this way. And then we feel averse. We get righteously indignant. We get angry. We want to blame somebody. We blame God or blame something or other. But we don't, but most people who are caught in that, that way of thinking have not contemplated the nature of the world. They're not a loka we do. They haven't seen what the, the world really is. So in in Buddhism, when we talk about the world, we're not talking about uh, the world in the in in the in the way that we tend to conceive the world. It's the world that we create. We're seeing now the the Dhamma of the Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana of the of the body of the of the mental states. We're seeing it in terms of Dhamma, not in terms of an ideal world or or as the world. The world, when we talk about the the world, we're talking about how we create the world. We're the creators of the world. So the world that I live in as a personality. It's going to be different. Then, then you, you, a lot of it might we, we might share certain perceptions and attitudes that uh, that we have 
but a lot of it is going to be, you know, my world, me and mine, myself, my my fears and my desires that I create. And this is a world that I'm the creator of this world. And the Buddha is the knower of the world. So, taking refuge in Buddha means that you, you're beginning to look at the world as a world rather than in terms of yourself or myself. When you contemplate also that each one of us creates our own world, so that's why there is so much misunderstanding and and lack of, uh, you know, we we don't understand. We think you 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 have the same world that I have, but actually, much of it isn't the same at all. <laughs> and surprise, you know, and you live in in the monastic community. Sometimes, you know, I remember being quite shocked sometimes by the fact that. People had such strange worlds they lived in. <laughs> weren't like mine at all. <laughs> and I didn't think my world was pretty all that good, but it, but some of the monks and nuns, the worlds they live in are a lot of fear and a lot of anger, resentment and, and, you know, obsessions and so forth that, that, um, you know, even though on one level they, they, they can look quite, quite happy and normal, but, but the worlds that they create are oftentimes filled with anguish and despair or fear and desire. So I was, it wasn't, it wasn't that I was glad that, that they had this, but I was glad to realize that I wasn't the only one that lived in a strange world. <laughs> Because, uh, and, and the mistakes generally made around in living in community thinking that, that, that you think like I do or your reactions to, to situations are going to be like me. And when you don't, then there's something wrong with you. When you react in a different way, then I think, what's wrong with her? You know, she should, you know, if she was like me, she wouldn't have reacted like that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is a reflection on getting to know the world is the world and the body is like this rather than seeing it in terms of of the body is mine so like getting old, isn't it? Old age is like this. You know, if you see the, the aging process in terms of Dhamma, then it's interesting to get old. If you see it in terms of self, you think, what's so interesting about it? <laughs> you know, used to be quite vigorous, now don't have much get up and go. You know, got up and left. <laughs> or, you know, you wrinkled appearance and and so forth, you're no longer, you know, very attractive looking. An old man. <laughs> Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I... <laughs> but in terms of, of Dhamma, I, it's it's you know, I find it interesting 
I like getting old. It's you know, it's one really the fulfillment of life rather than a personal failure that I that I. <laughs> if I take it in a personal way, I can see it as a failure. Isn't it? How, you know, how can you resist? If you see if you could kind of stay young as long as possible. But in, it's inevitable, isn't it? This is the natural process, the way things are. So the aging process is, you know, with its problems and difficulties, it also has its its assets. For one thing, at my age, you don't take things very seriously anymore. That you <laughs> and and much more peaceful. You don't you don't have all this energy, youthful energy and raging passions to deal with is much calmer, much more calm and and uh, and and easier to just be still and and be quiet than say when I was even ten years younger than this. Even sickness and pain, isn't it? How many of you have to endure kind of chronic pain or or ailments? Diseases and and uh, problems with sight or with vision or with deafness or the, this and and see it as a kind of plague or a blight or it's unfair or one can reflect on it in terms of dhamma. Like in in talking to the uh, to people with terminal illnesses or with with uh, Chronic pain or, or, or diseases of any sort, sickness of any sort, it's changing the attitude from I can't bear this, this is too much, I can't take any more of this, to seeing it in terms of Dhamma. When we, when we begin to, to see even physical pain or limita- physical limitation or, or, or illness or disease in this way, then we can learn from it. We learn Dhamma from it rather than seeing it as something that's ruining our life. Now for death, I can't speak yet about that because I haven't died. So when I die, I'll come back and tell you. And <laughs> you'll probably be scared if you say ghost. <laughs> but I'm just being facetious right now. <laughs> But death is, you know, when you when you contemplate things in terms of Dhamma, then death is a kind of fulfillment, isn't it? To me, that's, it's like the ultimate final experience. And to be ready for that, to be open to it, to be fully prepared for that most interesting and most profound final experience of the death of the body. This is how I look at it anyway, as something that will be fulfilling, something that is the, you know, something important that I am preparing myself for. Rather than just thinking, well, you know, you've got to die sometime, but uh, don't talk about it. Uh, It's a depressing and gruesome subject and look at it in terms of let's, let's not even mention it or think about it. Because it is the unknown, isn't it? Right now, in terms of when we think about our physical death, is we we don't know what it is. It's the unknown. It's well, it's in the future, isn't it? It will happen 
tomorrow maybe, or tonight. Could have, we could all die tonight, or, or, uh, you know, in the future. The future is the unknown. And so we, we can know this, know that, 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 that's the way it is in terms of the future. That's what we don't know. In the past, we remember. We have memories of much, of many of the things, or a few of the things that we've experienced in the past. So the past is a memory, isn't it? Right now, in terms of this present, Pachubanatam, or here and now reality, is the past is a memory. So whatever, you know, even yesterday is a memory, or this morning is a memory. The future, right now, tomorrow, is we don't know. It's not a memory. We don't remember tomorrow. But so we anticipate. You think tomorrow will be the same as today, and Monday, and then uh, we come here at 5.30 and do this and sit and walk and so forth. But that's what? That's, we're expecting that. So we, we expect or we assume that tomorrow we will be doing this and doing that. We anticipate, or we dread, maybe we, oh, tomorrow, you know, something, we're asked to do something that we, we dread. I don't, I don't think I can face that. We'll have that interview with Ajahn Sumedho tomorrow. I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. So you're, you're anticipator, fear, fear, having to confront me tomorrow. (laughs) And People think I can read, read minds, but I can't. You needn't worry. You can be right in front of me and think anything you want. And you, I wouldn't have a clue, usually. What? <laughs> so don't project a lot onto me as any kind of Superman. But, but I mean, this just pointing to the fact that, that we can dread or, you know, or these, these kind of emotions we create now. We could dread something. Tomorrow I have to deal with this. I dread that. But that dread is a mental state we're creating now before those conditions are even present. We're just imagining this as a problem tomorrow because we don't know. So putting, recognizing in terms of time and as Dhamma, we're seeing that we create these illusions of time ourselves, our past and the future. Even the the perception of the present is only a perception. You know, it's not that's the idea of here and now, Pachubana Dhamma present is is not something to grasp, but a reminder to awaken, isn't it? Not to to hold to the view of 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 even the present moment, but of the imminent awakening to this present is what we're pointing to or encouraging. So, we can think in terms of the future, getting old, I don't think I can bear that. When you, you know, but you can. If, if I get a, a terminal, terminal illness, you know, get terminal cancer or something, a disease of some sort, I couldn't bear it. I'm anticipating the possibility if I lost, you know, my sight or was deaf or or uh, 
I was disabled in some way or I was something happened to me I couldn't bear it but you can't <laughs> you know but we can anticipate the fact that 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 even before any of this happened and may never happen we've already made this statement about we've created this sense of suffering I can't I couldn't bear it I couldn't stand that I don't want that to happen so the suffering even before these things happen to us, you're creating the suffering in the present. Notice how that... And so this is what we're pointing to, is the suffering we're creating. And the end of suffering is the end of this delusion that we create in the present. So even in in the Buddha's life, you know, after his enlightenment, he did get old, he suffered back aches and stomach aches and he had to deal with uh, difficult bhikkhus and bhikkhunis. We have this whole Vinaya discipline uh, that he was forced to create because of, of the naughtiness and the bad behavior of monks and nuns. And they did much worse things than any of them of the monks and nuns that I've lived with. If you read some of the Vinaya, I mean, some of those bhikkhus and bhikkhunis at the time of the Buddha, pretty bad, really. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure the Buddha had, you know, would feel the irritation, frustration of of having such difficult people and having to make up up these these disciplinary rules and so forth. Uh, But this is, the, but the, in terms of the Buddha himself, he he experienced old age, sickness, death, and the frustrations, irritation. His life was threatened. He, his cousin tried to kill him. He he was blackmailed. He was blamed for things he hadn't done. And really, you know, when you read the 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 the, his, the the life of the Buddha after his enlightenment, it wasn't an easy ride of just bliss forevermore, but. <laughs> He had to deal with the problems of of a community, of problems, the political problems of the time, the uh, the uh, jealousies and and that of other groups and and of disciples and of other teachers and so forth. All the, the same kind of things that we we have to deal with in this time. So these are this is the way the world is. Rather than thinking once once I'm enlightened, you know, then I'll live in a state of bliss forevermore, and and you know this is, is the great hope of of becoming totally insensitive. Enlightenment means I I'll, I'll just live in this refined state of bliss till I till the body dies. Or is it that we give up this this uh, sense of I can't take any more of this, the blaming, the the discontentment, the the complaining mind, the the fear about the future, about the unknown, the resentments about the past, uh, the uh, and the guilt and the remorse and the self, the sense of self, the sakyaditi, the 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 endless ways we create suffering about ourselves out of ignorance. This drops away. But then, what we're left with is consciousness and this natural sensitivity of 
this human form and in the in the social context and environmental context context that we find ourselves this is the way things are this is this is dhamma this is the truth of the way it is and so in in reflecting like this we 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 we're not making impossible demands on life on god on the universe on buddha or anything else but we're we're awakening to the way things are as we experience life it's an honest and willingness to open and to learn from life as we live it uh, in these human forms till it's time for their physical death but in terms of of Lungpa uh, Cha used to say uh, die before you die and sometimes this was a bit of a shock I remember people coming westerners coming to see him and and sometimes he could be pretty um, kind of he wasn't particularly making it easy for them they, they were there looking at the great master and saying give us some great wisdom teachings and expecting to hear some terribly inspiring thing come out of his lips and say did you come here to die? <laughs> they go, no, 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 we didn't. <laughs> but here, <laughs> we came here to find the truth. <laughs> and uh, put it up in, in high, you know, high polluting language. But, but his point was, this, this die before you die. So this death of the ego, isn't it? As we begin to see the, 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 the dukkha or the, the suffering we create through this, through not understanding Dhamma, then the ego dies. The Sakyaditi, uh, fades away. And so therefore the sense of me as a person, me as, as this personality, this, this dies. And, and this death is is a death before the body dies. So in in this way, Lungpa Cha would say, die before you die. And even in Shakespeare, you know, those sonnets, and death once dead, there's no more dying then. I mean, this, this sense of dying before the physical death is not a depressing kind of self-annihilation. It's not like you know, out of aversion, we're trying to destroy ourselves and become kind of mindless zombies. But when we let go of this ego, this sakaditi, when we allow it to to cease, then what's left is this pure intelligence. There's this knowing, this this wisdom, and this ability to to understand. The Dhamma, so this is the Buddha, this, this paradigm of consciousness, the Buddha, that which knows the, the truth or the Dhamma. So in uh, practice, in, in these various uh, suggestions I've been making, uh, in terms of, of this recognizing, really, really seeing this, this present moment is where it's at. Enlightenment is now. Buddha is now. Dhamma is now. And, and so it's not a matter of doing it, doing, practicing now for the future, but it's, it's trusting 
in this more and more to see that that uh, you know to to use this present moment to be open and and willing to uh, reflect on it in terms of even if the the view I can't take any more of this comes up there's a knowing of this as a mental object isn't there and even though it's very convincing I can't take any more of this I've had enough yet you know this is a condition you know it's, it's that knowing is what you you trust in rather than in the the condition and what it says so so just encouraging you toward this way of reflecting and and seeing in a very direct way and using wisdom learning to use wisdom it's not like you you don't have any wisdom it's not like anyone in this room is lacking, doesn't have any wisdom. It's not that way. It's that we may not use wisdom. <laughs> wisdom is natural to us when we, when we open and when we, we uh, are mindful. Then wisdom is natural to this state, this human state that we're in. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. Andamaya no Vadagata Sadukaranda Namaste Sadu 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 Amodam Also, I, I forgot about the, um, the, it seems like the, uh, Various duties that people are asked to sign up for, many of them are not. There's nobody volunteering. Uh, or several people have taken on several chores. So I want to encourage this as, as one of a way of practice to, uh, to uh, help uh, in this endeavor running this retreat by uh, looking at this list and, and offering your services so that it doesn't become a burden for others. So, I want to encourage you to uh, take an interest in this side, the kind of karma yoga, mindfulness. It includes practice, includes mindfulness, wisdom, and any thought, I can't take any more of this, you can... (laughs) You can say, in terms of something not to believe in, because you can take more of this, actually. Was there anything else?